get your ticket yet? You're in a safe place, you can say. A lot of people, even people I'm surprised, I would never have thought of playing lottery, said, I got my ticket. So can't, can't win if you don't play. Can't win if you do play. <laughs> the odds I read were uh, one in 300 million. You stand a greater chance of getting killed by a falling coconut at one in 250 million. You're not going to win the lottery, but everybody wants to try. We're getting close to the record in the United States. It was, I think, back in 2019, $1.5 billion went to one lucky winner in South Carolina. Though I really don't know why we call them lucky winners, because how many of us have heard all the stories about people who won the lottery and just totally wrecked their lives with that, that money? Giving someone that much money when they're not ready to handle it, it's like handing the keys to a sports car to a 12-year-old. Do they want it? Yeah. Are they going to do well with that? No. <laughs> But we still, we want to try. We want to see what would happen if we would win. What is it about the lottery, you know, that brings out the worst in people? It does. Like several years ago, there's a story that came out of Cleveland, Ohio. A woman named Alicia Battle went to the police station and said, I bought the winning lottery ticket for, it was over $100 million, and I lost it in the parking lot outside the Quick Mart. So if anybody comes forward with that ticket, it's mine, not theirs. She told her story at the police station. It wasn't long at all before the news went from the police station to the news station. It made all the local news. People showed up in droves with shovels and rakes. They were going through the snow trying to find that lost winning lottery ticket. The next day, someone actually came forward. A, a man and woman came and said, this is our winning lottery ticket, and we didn't find it. We bought it. And so the police are like, now somebody's not telling the truth here. It came out very quickly. Miss Battle had made the entire story up, just hoping to capture that card. And I look at that and I think, I think she was a good person who did a bad thing. What is it about money that brings out the worst in people? She was a mom. She had kids and she was up on charges. Why would anyone do that? I think Jesus would have something to say about this. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus said it this way. Beware. Guard against all kinds of greed. He says it twice. Beware. Be on guard. This is so important. Your life is not measured by how much you own. And it's like Jesus just reads her mind and he says, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that's true for everyone else, but a little bit more money in your life would sure make my life better, right? That's what everybody thinks. Just a little bit more money and I'll be happy. And Jesus says, just be on guard because that attitude will, will hurt you. The desire for money and all the power that it can bring will get you in the clutches of greed. Having money and all the power and the opportunities it brings will put you into temptations and situations that you are ill-equipped to handle. A lack of money? How many of you have been there, too? A lack of money and what you need to survive that money buys will put you in so much anxiety and stress, not to mention just the things that you don't have because you don't have money. There's so, so many reasons why people say, well, financial stress is one of the biggest arguments that people have in relationships. It's, it's we have money and we argue about how we're going to spend it. We don't have money and we're trying to figure out how we're going to have more. We're trying to figure out how we're going to pay our bills. So many things revolve around money. That's why in this series, Have a Nice Life, we really need to look at how do we succeed financially? How do we live in such a way that if we have money that we don't find ourselves in the clutches of greed and that we manage it well? And if we don't have money, or if we have a hard time hanging on to it, what do we do about that? Well, the Bible has lots of wisdom to say about this. I want us to go look at it, and no lottery tickets are required. You can be successful financially, so let's dig into this. Some biblical instructions for how to do well financially. If you're wanting to write things down, this is going to sound so simple, you're like, I don't even need to write this down, Brian. The Bible tells us to work hard. Work hard. 
I know it sounds obvious, but just follow me here. Let's go over to the Bible in the very first book of the Bible, probably on page two for you, Genesis chapter two. And listen to this, God created work, and this is how we know. It says in verse one, the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God had finished his what? His work. God worked. He finished his work of creation, and then he rested from all his work. Two things I want to point out here. Number one, God did work. He did the work of a scientist. He did the work of an engineer, an architect. He did science. He thought up this wonderful place we live, all the complexity of it at the smallest level and at the largest level, and he said, here it is, and he worked. The second thing I want to point out here is that he rested. He's setting a pattern for us. This is how you should live your life. Do productive things in the way that I have gifted you, the abilities I've given you, and then take a break, rest, and then start the cycle again. I'll point out too, and go on down to verse 15, it says the Lord God placed the man, that would be Adam, the first man that God created, he placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. This is before Eve was created from Adam's side, from the rib in his side. I want you to see this, that this is before sin and death entered the world. If you think that work is evil, that's just because you're in the wrong kind of job. You're not doing something that you're gifted at. You're not doing something that God made you to do. Of course you hate your job. You need to find something that God made you to do and do that, and, and you'll love your work because God gave work to us as a gift, an ability to provide for yourself and your family and your loved ones. That's God's intention, that you would work hard. Adam placed in the garden, some scholars believe that that place, the Garden of Eden, I always think of it like a park, Garden Prairie Park. Now, they think it may have been as big as the Smoky Mountains National Park. And God brought all of the animals before Adam, and he did science. He did zoology. He named the animals. He categorized them according to what kind they were. It was a very meaningful life. The only thing he was lacking was a partner, and that's why God gave him Eve. But work is a good thing, and God intended for us to work hard. And that's the way we support ourselves. That's the way we take care of other people. Um, there's another verse in the Bible I want to show you. This is over in the Second Thessalonians. This is written explicitly to Christians. So if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. Listen to this. Dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers. That would be all Christians who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition they received from us. For you know you ought to imitate us. We, the apostles, the one who's planted these church, this church, these leaders, we weren't idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. No, we worked hard day and night, so we wouldn't be a burden to any of you. Now, we certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command, those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet, here's what we hear. Some of you are living idle lives. You're refusing to work. You're meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, settle down, work to earn your own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. And Paul's just saying, if you are able to work, work. Don't get yourself into trouble just laying around all day doing nothing. Now, we certainly know that there are times where we're unable to work. There are people who are unable to do anything. And in that situation, we take care of each other. We step forward and help those who can't help themselves or those who are temporarily or permanently disabled. And that's fine. That's great. This is Christian uh, love and action. But if you're able to do something, you should do it. God has intentionally linked our efforts with outcomes. You work hard, you get money, you're able to take care of yourself. I remember as a kid, I was um, very early to learn this lesson that I liked having money in my pocket, and I realized that if I did things for other people, I could get that, so I created a little mowing business. I started in a neighborhood, I just went around and knocked on everybody's doors and asked them if I could mow their grass and take care of things, and the sweet little lady four doors down from me 
uh, she said, sure, you can do my lawn. So I get my lawnmower, but she said, I don't want you to use a string trimmer around the house. I want you to use little garden shears. These are really nice compared to the ones she gave me. The ones she gave me were like rusted shut. By the end of it, my hand was permanently in a claw. You know, she, <laughs> then I went to the door, I'm done. I, I think in my memory, I did a flawless job on the yard. I don't know how I did, but she was so pleased and she was so proud to give me a quarter for all my effort. And I remember thinking, I was too polite to say it, but I remember thinking, you know, back in 1865 on the prairie when you were a little girl, I'm sure a quarter was a lot of money, but this didn't even cover my gas. I'd, I learned a valuable lesson from that. I need to price my work before I take the job. But, and I, I figured out really quickly, I like being able to do things and get the money that comes from it. And that's just the way God intended for us to do things, to see a linkage between my effort and the outcome, not somebody just giving me things. Uh, because I think you manage your money better when you had to do something to get it. You, you appreciate it more. Now, there's another side to it. There's, there's this side where Paul would say, don't just lay around, don't wait for everybody to do things for you. There's the other side that you want to be careful of, too, and that is to say, wow, I have succeeded because all of my hard work, my brilliant ideas, my, my uh, entrepreneurial spirit, I've just, I've just really done a great thing here without in any way acknowledging that it was the Lord who gave you the opportunities, that you're born in the United States in a time where freedom is a thing and that the government doesn't you know, corruptly take things away from you. There's so many things about that attitude that's just as wrong as this attitude to just completely say it's all me is not fair. It's the Lord who gave you the ability to work, the intelligence that you have, the opportunities that are before you. So don't ever get to a place where you're ungrateful for what you've done. Yes, work hard, but don't take advantage of that. The, the Lord gave it to you, which is, and then once you've got something to work with and the money's coming in, that's the second piece of biblical advice that we have here, and that is to have a plan which is just any financial advisor would tell you that, and they're just echoing biblical teaching on this as well. The Bible says in, uh, Bible says in Proverbs 21.5, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. That's what we've been saying. You need a plan. But hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Now, if you think about it, there's really only about five things you can do with the money that's coming in. If you think about, I've got a plan for my money, here's the way most Americans handle their money. Number one, they spend it. Oh, yeah, I got to pay my taxes. And if I can, I'll pay my debts. And if there's anything left, I'll save it. And then if there's anything after all of that is left, then whatever's left in my pocket, I will be generous towards other people. I'll give to God. Sure, I'll round up to the next dollar at Taco Bell. I'm a generous person. And that's really how most Americans just handle their money. That's my, my, my plan. I spend it. Whatever's left, I do what I'm supposed to do with it. Now, biblically speaking, we need to reverse that order. The Bible says, no, number one, you honor God with your wealth. Number one, you just acknowledge that it came from him. And then you honor your obligations. You pay your taxes. You pay your debts. You, uh, you save it. You give it. You spend it. So it's a completely different way of looking at things. Somebody said this a long time ago, and it just always stuck with me. They call this the 10-10-80 plan. I wish I could give credit to somebody. It's not mine. I've just heard it so many different places. So if you got like 100 bucks. You, the 10 10 80 plan tells you what to do with it. I actually have $10 here because nobody should trust me with $100 in my pocket. But so just imagine there's another zero on each one of these dollars here. So the 10 10 80 plan says if I get 10 bucks, somebody, grandma gave me 10 bucks for my birthday, I earned it for mowing the grass, whatever. You take that first dollar out of 10, you take the first 10 out of 100, you take the first 100 out of 1,000, you can do the math on this, and you give it to God. 
right off the top. God, I trust you. I believe that I can do more with 90% of my money in you than I could do with 100% on my own. So it's just, we're talking about through the last few weeks of having a nice life that we create new habits and new ways of doing things. This is a new habit to just acknowledge God. Maybe for you, for it's the first time ever to say, I'm going to go ahead and figure out what my pay is and take 10% of it and give it to God. So you take that first 10, you give it to God. Uh, I throw it in the air. Here, just keep whatever you want, God. And then you take the second 10 and you put it in savings because maybe your car insurance went up more than you expected. Maybe you had a flat tire. Maybe the, the books for college is more than you thought. Whatever it is, an emergency fund, it's saving for the future. You want to buy a car. You want to have kids. You want to retire someday. That second 10 goes to your savings account. And then you take the last eight after you've done that, and that's what you spend out of this. It's just a new way of thinking about things. It's very simplistic. I was talking to a friend I met while I was hiking on the Appalachian Trail, and he was telling me, he's a firefighter, actually, and he was saying that at the fire station, he would talk about, because he was trying to do this, trying to honor God with his money, put him first. He was trying to really be serious about putting money in the retirement fund in the stock market. And all the other guys would make fun of him. Like, I don't know why you would make fun of somebody having a legitimate plan for, and he says, they're the ones who are going to, you know, I'll be the one laughing in 20 years when I've got money in a retirement account and God's been blessing my finances um, because I just honored him. Maybe I get this out of the way. Like I'm tipping the piano, man. There you go. Help me remember that's there. The Bible says this in Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. This is God talking. Bring all the 10% of everything you get into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do this, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I'll open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. I love this. It's the only time in the Bible this happens. God says, try it. Put me to the test. God is literally inviting you to take him at his word to put him first and see what happens. I know that a lot of you have done this because you've told me the stories. We just went through a campaign in November, a season of our church's life called Daring Faith. And uh, maybe you recognize this logo. Some of you are here for that. If you're newer, it's, it was a time where we just challenged ourselves to trust God, to take him at his word, to really say, God, for the next three years, we're just going to put you first, and we're going to see if you'll take care of us. And so many of you have already told me so many stories. I'm so happy to hear the stories, even of those of you who aren't able to be here. But some of you are having unexpected financial blessings. Some of you have had healings. Some of you have had opportunities open up. You're feeling closer to God. I'm so thankful for all of you who've done anything in a generous way. Because number one, it's just saying, God, we thank you and we appreciate you. And number two, what it's doing is it's allowing connection and our mission to go forward. We've already been able to do some things through Daring Faith to improve our online service. I hope that you're noticing that right now as you're sharing with us online. There's going to be some things here in the room that are going to be better as we try to reach out to people in our area. We're trying to reach the next generation of students and young people for Jesus through this. And it's happening. Now, if this is something that you regret not having done, if this is new to you and you didn't do a Daring Faith commitment, this is three years for our church's life, so you can still do this. There are Daring Faith commitment cards over at the giving stations. They're throughout the building. If you prayerfully think, I need to do this, do it. And uh, I would love to hear your story after you do that, as you put God first in your giving. The Daring Faith time is a, a time where you can maybe start to get some things in line in your financial plan. You know, and another thing the Bible talks about here is in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. This is such a, an awesome promise. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he'll fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. I don't know about you. Anytime that the Lord offers to bless me, I'm interested in that. I really need his blessing. Life is hard enough without trying to do this without God. 
take him at it. Just try it and see what happens. You can feel free to come to me and tell me it didn't really work like you talked about, Brian, and we'll just pray about that and figure it out. Now, there are a number of people here at Connection who can tell you part of my story is I haven't always done really well with finances. In fact, it's been a hot mess for a long time. And what these people can now say is because of some of the horrible, painful things I went through, some of them self-inflicted, some not, I can turn around and help other people who are in the same situation. Don't ever be afraid to stick your hand in the air here at Connection and say, I've got a problem with whatever it is. There is someone in this church who's had the same thing, and they can share their scars, and you can compare your wounds to their scars, and they'll help you get through it. It's not just finances, anything. We're not here to judge each other. We're here to accept each other while we grow and change. So this is an area you'll find plenty of good coaches in this church family who can help you financially get your plan together. You know, there's another side of this. The Proverbs also commend saving. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. That was from the New Living Translation. Uh, the NIV is also really good here. It says, the same verse, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. They don't save anything for later. The idea here is just simple. A, a very, very, maybe overly simple plan is just honor God first, put some aside for later, and then live off the rest. You may think, well, that's, that's fine if you got money. I don't have a whole lot. Or you might say, well, I'm, some people are just so wealthy. Do they need a plan? Yeah, sometimes the only way to become wealthy is to have a plan. People at all levels of the economic scale do this. I was just reading about Kirk Cousins. He's the quarterback for Minnesota Vikings. Uh, he has made a commitment with his wife that they want to do well financially for their family. Because he realizes you don't have a long time in the NFL. Somebody called the NFL the not-for-long league. You, you know, you're you're going to get hurt. You, the money is going to go away. And how sad is it so many professional athletes end up being bankrupt after the money goes away? But another thing about Kirk Cousins that's cool is he's a Christian. So he and his wife are trying to take this seriously, to take some of the money and can, in an increasing level be generous to other people and be generous to God he says even after he's out of the NFL, he wants to continue giving more and more every year, but they want to save for their future as well. So what's really hard, they struggle with this a lot. It's not easy for them. He says, all my kids' friends can just Google me and find out what my salary is. So there's some expectations there of our lifestyle and its attention. But even them, Christians all over the place are trying to struggle through this and work through it. You're not alone. But I would encourage you, maybe the takeaway for you today is just get a plan. And there's one last thing I want to share with you as I wrap this up, and it's just, biblically speaking, it tells us no matter what level you're at, just be content. Be content with what you have. I actually looked back last year. What we were doing this time last year was the same thing. I tried in January to talk about finances because, you know, December hurts. <laughs> and in January last year, COVID was kind of a thing we knew about, but it really hadn't hit yet. And then I was looking in the message, I was talking about how Something I had read said that homes have been increasing in size for decades now. Like for over 50, 60 years, homes have been getting bigger. But our contentment and satisfaction with our homes leveled out in the 80s. The homes are getting bigger, but we're not any happier than we were like 40 years ago with it. What's going on with that? Well, sure, when you first move into that brand new house and it smells wonderful, and everything's kind of crisp and clean. Everybody's happy at that point, but the happiness fades very quickly because here's what happens. They build a brand new subdivision next to your old subdivision, and suddenly your place doesn't look so good anymore. Or are you going to your friend's house, and they've upgraded the kitchen. It's new cabinets, and it's new countertops. You're like, man, we got to change everything. You know, everything's gray now. We've got all brown. And so the contentment goes away very quickly. 
And so I was talking about that, that the secret to life is just to be content with what you have. And then about a month later, the pandemic hit us. Dr. Susan David from Harvard was talking about what this has done for us. As we've had to isolate, we've had to live with just ourselves. And she said, overwhelmingly, Americans have realized how petty their goals were and their aspirations were for their life. And the things that we had thought would make us happy, we realized very quickly they don't. Another thing that happened out of this that was very good, people were social uh, creatures. We take our cue from other people. And so when we see somebody else get a raise, I need a raise. Somebody else gets a promotion, I need a promotion. Somebody else gets a nicer house, somebody gets a new car, I need that too. The pandemic took all that away. We couldn't see what other people were doing unless you saw it online. And, and we knew that what we see on that little Zoom call was not an accurate slice of life. We know this looks neat and clean. We know everything else off camera is just, you know, crazy. And so what's happened is we've really said, do I need all that to be content, to be happy? It was, uh, let me see, Alex Kicho, I hope I'm pronouncing that name right, market researcher said, here's what also happened last year in 2020, luxury spending like 60% down. People just said, I'm just, I just canceled the thing I was going to buy because I just don't need it. 20% of them said after the pandemic's over, I'm not even going to buy it then. I'm just, I'm really changing my lifestyle. What people are figuring out is where the Bible already was. Like in Ecclesiastes, listen to this. This is so great. Ecclesiastes 6, 9. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. Have you ever done that? I've read that expression in the Bible before. It's just a chasing after the wind. I was running on the Katy Trail one day in the fall. The leaves were all down on the trail, and a huge wind came through like it does, like a storm front coming through, and all the leaves just kind of lifted up off the trail and started blowing down in the direction I was running, and I, it just occurred to me, I'm going to chase the wind. I just want to see if that, and it was a cool thing. Like, I was running along with the leaves, and then I just thought, this is stupid. So what if I catch it? So what? I beat the wind. All right. What do I have? Nothing. We, we live our lives chasing all these things, and what do you have when you got it? Okay, you got nicer countertops. Now what? Got a nicer car. Now what? You went from here to here in your account. Now what? It's still you. It's still your life. The things that really matter aren't found in a bank account. They're not found in your garage. They're not, you know, they're not found up in the attic. Well, the, this is what's really important. The things that are eternal, your soul, our family, our church family, the love that God has for you. Can you be content with just knowing that God loves you and that he cares for you, he's provided for you forever if you'll just trust him? This is what the Bible says. Actually, it's the Apostle Paul talking to one of his young uh, pastor protégés named Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. You got that. You're, you're wealthy. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. So... If we have enough food and clothing, let's just be content with that. Let's just start there. Can I just ask you a few hard questions? And I, I don't mean to be in your business, but it's kind of my job, right? You, you invited me into your world for a little bit, so let me just as a pastor, somebody who cares about you as a coach, just ask you, are you proud of how you're spending your money? Does it reflect the true values of your heart? Is there a problem there that needs to be addressed and you've just been ignoring it? 
You know, how long do you want to live upside down in your car loan and worrying about whether the check's going to bounce? How long do you want to live knowing that you're making more money than you ever made, but you're not any happier than you ever were before? Like, do you want to keep doing that? Or do you want to open up your heart to God and say, I think I'm open to doing something different? And believe me, I say this again, I'm not judging anyone. I have no room to judge anyone. I'm here to help you. I want you to reevaluate your life in light of God's wisdom. And things can be so different for you if you will trust him. You know, one of the things we've learned in 2020, and in, it seems to be continuing in 2021, is things can go away like that. The money you thought you had, gone. The health you thought you had, gone. The people that you thought would be there forever, they're not. The one constant in your life that you can count on, you can start building on, is that God will never leave you, and God will never forsake you. And you can always trust him to be there for you, and he will provide for you. He knows exactly where you live. He cares about you. He knows things about you you don't even know about you. And you can trust him. And Jesus will teach you how to live a life that you would never be able to create for yourself if you'll just come to him and ask him for his help. And if you're watching this online, again, I, I love you all. Some of you I've never even met before, but we care about you, and we want you to move closer to God through Jesus. This morning, I'm going to pray right now. And when I'm praying, it's an invitation for you to talk to God yourself as well and ask him to help you move one step closer. Maybe you need to do something with this, and you don't even know where to begin. Ask God to bring somebody to your mind that you can talk to about this. And Like any problem that you have, when you share it with someone else, you've cut it in half. A problem shared is a problem halved. Share it with God. Share it with somebody you trust. Let me invite you to pray with me right now. Father, we come before you. We acknowledge that you've given us everything, and we're so thankful. We are so blessed in this country, and we don't even sometimes realize it or acknowledge it. So I confess that for all of us, that sometimes we just lack gratitude. But I believe that you can take us wherever we're at, whatever is messed up, whatever's not working, and you can help us move from here forward into health and vitality, into a great life. I pray that you would just help anyone who's here that feels like it's impossible to change, that they'd have a spark of hope to realize with you, nothing's impossible. I pray that Connection will continue to be a place where people are drawn forward to you, Jesus, that you will teach us how to put our lives back together. We ask for your salvation. We, many of us have already committed to you and we've received your salvation. We're in the process of receiving it. We're looking forward to when you return. And I am specifically praying now, Father, for those who are hearing me, who are also hearing you talk to their heart and they know that they have not yet found salvation through you and they need to do that, that you will just give them the courage to step forward. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.